Hi there, my name's Jane Anderson and this is the Jane Anderson Brand You Show. It's the podcast for experts who want to have greater impact, influence and income for their businesses and careers. As experts, we know that people buy from people and work with people who they know, who they like and who they trust. So I'm so glad you're here because it's that time again now to really amplify how you show up in the world. Hi there and welcome to the Jane Anderson Show. I am so thrilled that you are here today and to be listening to this exciting interview today. But before we get started, I'm going to share with you a little bit about what's happening around the place. We're doing a lot of work with women with influence at the moment. We've come to end of financial year, going through all the successes, all the learnings uh, and preparing uh, heading to the, into this new year and also working with my one-on-one clients as well. I work with a lot of men too. So it's not just women, but it's all about being able to create that practice that you want to be able to do that work that you really love to do and to work with the corporate clients that you really want to work with and create that freedom and fulfillment from your work and your lifestyle. Uh, so today I have a very, very special guest uh, and she is a cultural transformation expert. She's an author and a speaker and advanced emotional intelligence practitioner. Uh, she has been recognised in 20 and 21 as in, in the top 88 global thought leaders on trust. Um, and she works with CEOs and boards to help leaders understand their organisations as ecosystems, equipping them with fresh strategic approaches to traditional cultural challenges that impact on profitability. She totally understands the complexity of organisational ecosystems. This is her absolute mastery. She was recognised by Thinkers360 as a number one global thought leader in ecosystems, top five thought leader in culture. Um, she's created this really unique methodology, which is called interconnectivity, flow and balance. Um, and she's been, uh, according to Thinkers360, which is how we met, uh, so she is one of the top 150 female thought leaders to watch in 2022. So I happen to also be on that list, which was how we came across each other. And we've had some amazing conversations around her expertise. Um, uh Yvette is also a Fulbright scholar. She's got more than 20 years experience in Fortune 500 companies and followed by 16 years as the CEO at, an, at, at her business called Organisational Soul, which I just love the name. She works with mission-based organisations um, where culture is the opportunity to strengthen performance and profitability. Um, she is the host of Evolve, Reinventing Leadership, Building Freedom Cultures podcast. Uh, she is, uh, she keynotes, uh, she's keynoted at the Nexus EQ conference, Harvard Medical School, uh, Leaders Worth Following conference, uh, all around the world. And uh, please allow me to introduce to you our very special guest today. I'm so thrilled that she is here. Yvette Bethel. So hi, Yvette. Thank you so much for being part of the Jane Anderson show and the podcast today. I'm so excited to be able to speak with you and thrilled to have the opportunity to, to spend a few moments with you. You are truly extraordinary. The work that you are doing, uh, the, the books that you've written, I've got questions around this today. Um, Yvette, uh, I've read out your bio and all your background you know, the work that you've done featured in the Thinkers360 community, which is how we met. Um, 
Yvette, are you happy to, for the ladies that I have mostly women who listen to the show and or they're watching maybe on YouTube, and when they listen, um, they're mostly women who have their own consulting practices and doing work, whether it's within Australia or globally. Um, I'd love to know, can you tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming a consultant and thought leader and how on earth did you get here? <laughs> You're amazing. It's been a crazy journey. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to join you, Jane. And uh, I, when you ask me that question, it makes me think back to uh, when I used to work for a Fortune 500 company. Mm. And I always said to them, I was never afraid of being fired. So I always said things like, you know, oh. I'm going to open my own business one day. And, um, you know, this is temporary. And, uh, but I always acted like I was the corporate person. So uh, at some point I decided to leave. And at that time I was responsible for eight countries uh, in the Caribbean. Right. And um, uh, for HR. So all the HR country heads reported into me. Okay. And um, I decided then uh, there was a whole sequence of events because it was always in my heart. I always felt this was my purpose and I wasn't sure what I was going to do or how I was going to do it. But I certainly um, knew I had to go. And so what triggered me was that uh, my, my father passed away. He had cancer okay. and we were all sitting around uh, the bed one, like a day or two before he passed away. Yeah. And um, he started to plead with the doctor to resuscitate him if he goes into a coma. And the doctor said, and my father's not that type of person. He doesn't plead <laughs> or he wasn't that type of person. Mm. And, uh, the dog said, no, uh, you're at the, the final stage and I'm going to let you go. And in that moment, I realized that he felt that he didn't live a, a, a life that was complete. He felt like he had something else to do. Right. And in that moment, I made a decision that I'm not going to die like that. Oh, wow. I'm going to... I'm going to do everything that I came here or I was born to do. Mm. And so um, after his death, it was, there was just a sequence of events. And one day I just walked away yeah. and no one expected that from me because I'm a planner and, you know, you can't, you can't be more organized than me and yeah. all these things. And I just walked away with no plan because I realized, because of the intensity of the role, I realized that if I didn't do that, I was going to be trapped in this cycle of busyness mm. um, and uh, I would never get to it. So I had to walk away without a plan because I didn't have time to get to it. I was traveling every other week. Right. And so uh, then the journey began, right? you know, because I wasn't ready. Mm. <laughs> oh, I, was, I hadn't <laughs> planned it. I shouldn't say I wasn't ready. I think I, I know I was ready. Yeah. I hadn't planned it. And um, ever since then, I haven't looked back. Incredible. So, and so today, 
now where your practice is at, and we sort of talk about a practice as in, you know, you have yeah. minimal staff. Uh, we don't necessarily try to build a big business empire. We like just ourselves, you know, pretty minimal team. We run pretty lean. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the type of work that you do today and the the clients that you work with and some of the the problems that you go in and help them with and the solutions that you bring for them? Oh, sure. Um, there are two sides to my practice. Okay. Uh, there's the side where I'm doing the work. Right. And so out facilitating and... I'm out facilitating okay. uh, transformation. Yes. And then there's the other side where I'm creating. Right. And uh, I do the work because I want to test what I've created. Yes. <laughs> so uh, for the doing the work part, I use my uh, IFB model, yes. uh, which is my proprietary work. Yes. And um, I, I predominantly work with clients that are at the stage in the business where mm. I, I know um, because this is a group of consultants, mm. uh, you know, there's a point in the, the business where they're shifting from growth to expansion. Yes. And they realize that the culture is inhibiting that shift. Right. So, you know, it could be through structure, it could be through the way people behave or how leaders lead, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. um, they're usually at some point where they realize that they have to do something differently and it's not about bringing in more tech or anything like that. It's the people. Right. <laughs> and uh, I get called in for that. And then I also get called in if there's a merger with two completely different cultures. Mm -hmm. Okay. And most mergers don't really uh, take that into deep consideration. Mm. But uh, because, and that becomes why, a reason why you end up with two cultures operating in the merged uh, organization. Yes. Uh, because they didn't take uh, deliberate action to, to bring it together and right. create perhaps a, another culture or let the dominant culture. Uh, take over in a way that people don't feel they're being taken over. <laughs> so, uh, so when when clients want to be really conscious about how that merger happens, so that they can preserve uh, what they've done with the culture already, yes. uh, then they they bring me in as well. Right. So um, those are uh, that's on the the side of the business where I'm engaging and using the, the thought leadership work. And then on the other side, I'm I have a lot of partners where we develop depending on their uh, interests. So well, I am collaborating with uh, uh, a college professor who's uh, turning the, the thought leadership work into um, a college course that can be sold to uh, professors. Well, um, I'm working with uh, an e-learning specialist uh, that develops courses. I'm working with uh, someone who produces games. I'm working with uh, someone who works at the military. So I have lots of partners right. um, in, uh, for different parts of my work. And all we do is uh, you know, take the, the thought leadership work and really tailor it and customize it to their needs so that right. they can build their practice because for me my purpose is important but their purpose is also important to me mm. so that they're not just selling my work they're yes. selling 
what it is that they are purposeful about. And that's, right. that's one of the things that I try to achieve in the uh, integration process. Wow. And that when um, it's, a, it's such a fantastic model because, you know, I think sometimes for us as consultants or as you're building your thought leadership, sometimes you can really only see the, the, the model you can only see is that, oh, well, I've got to do the thought leadership and I've got to get out and deliver it. And then as I grow, um, you know, maybe I bring on contractors, but you've got a different model here. You've got a model where you're the creator, you're the thought leader, and yes, you deliver some, but instead of contractors is that you have partners who are the distributors of that work and you have, um, uh, is it like a licensing type thing or do they, right. is it a profit share or how does that sort of work if you're happy all to of, share? All of the above. All of the above. Uh, some, <laughs> yeah, I have like programs that I license. Okay. I have, other pro I have products and services that uh, and programs that we profit share. Right. So uh, and we share the intellectual property. Um, if they base something new that I yes. didn't create on my uh, work, because a lot of people that I work with are excited about the, the approach that I take to organizations as ecosystems. Yes. So, uh, you know, they, I work with people that are excited about it. Yes. That's, that's another criteria. <laughs> yes. I love that. And it's a good reminder too, that there are people out there that, do rely on people like yourself and for those who listen to the podcast that are thought leaders is that there are I think sometimes it's easy to when you're around a lot of thought leaders or if you hang out with thought leaders is that you think everybody's kind of like that but there are a group <laughs> of people out there that actually don't want to do the thought leadership they love what you do right um, they just need to be able to serve their customers and their clients and they need those tools and they're relying right. on you to understand their needs and keep creating and you know you can only do so much so um, being able to build that partnership arrangement with some of them uh, mm -hmm. I think is a really clever model um, you talk you. a little bit about uh, if I can go to your book so for those if you haven't come across Yvette's work this is Yvette's uh, book and her her um, her thought leadership and her proprietary IP as you say which is around her model which is around interconnectivity flow and balance and the subtitle of the book is a values-based framework for reinventing leadership in uncertain times this is a beast of a book of it this is <laughs> we have 400 odd pages this is extraordinary thought leadership that you have created um, what was it that it was did you start doing a lot of this work in cultural transformation which you were talking about with mergers and acquisitions but you know this is work that you have gone on this is the the proprietary work that you're delivering now um, mm -hmm. are you happy to tell us a little bit about the IFB model that you've created and how mm -hmm. how it works Sure. And, and it's um you know here yeah, well let's see how long you've got because it's 400 pages but if you have a little bit because it really is fascinating i have the elevator version the elevator <laughs> speech version <laughs> uh i uh oh where shall i start it's such you're right it's such a big thing well um, i'll just say a little bit about the model um yeah. and how how i got to it uh, the model uh, is called interconnectivity, flow, and balance. And what it, what it is is 
three natural laws that work within all ecosystems. Mm -hmm. Whether the ecosystem is dysfunctional mm -hmm. or functional, these laws are present and operating. So if you have an environment that's high on control and it's highly political, the laws are working there. Right. If it's uh, a different kind of innovative uh, kind of culture, the laws are at work. It doesn't matter what the culture is about. Right. These laws are present. And so the book really gets into it because we can turn our cultures around if we understand the operating system behind it. Right. Uh, and it's like a computer. I, okay. I think I, I talked about it in the, the beginning yes. of the book where you have the operating system that's quietly running all the programs. Yes. <laughs> this is what these laws do. They quietly run whatever program you stick in there. Right. And so for leaders to understand their organizations as living ecosystems that are operating according to these rules that you've set, mm. uh, is very important because a lot of times coaches and consultants solve, attempt to solve these cultural challenges through uh, coaching and interpersonal transfer, transformation through right. leadership, those kinds of things. Yes. But there's another layer that holds the behaviors in place, which is structural, that needs to be addressed in order for the sustainability of the transformation to, to uh, occur. Right. So um, that's why when you have training um, and you, uh, everyone's like, wow, that was a great course and I have lots of new ideas. And then they go back to work and they go right back into the same habits that they had beforehand because the system is not allowing them. It's stronger, it's bigger. Mm. It's, it's deeper and mm. it's not allowing them to implement what they've learned. So they kind of go back to the programming yes. of the system uh, that they're already in. So what this does is I look at interconnectivity from a, a different perspective where yes, there's a interpersonal perspective that's very important, but there's also a very important perspective on structure where um, we need to pay attention to the structures that are holding the behaviors in place. Right. And sorry, go ahead. Uh, I don't know, you can ask a question. Oh, I find this so fascinating because I, I love, I'm not an expert in systems at all, but I find it so fascinating how they, how they affect each other. And you talk in the book about um some of the you talk about the um the internal networks and external networks and the influence mm -hmm. that external networks have mm -hmm. on those internal networks are you mm -hmm. happy to i find that really fascinating are you happy to share a little bit of insight mm -hmm. on that yeah sure you have uh an internal you have internal networks and yes. relationships within a business and um depending on the country that you're in, uh, for example, mm -hmm. they can operate very differently. Like I worked in an international organization and um, when I was working full-time and with eight different countries involved, each country had its uh, cultural external to the, the business, right. 
idiosyncrasies. And you can see them play out within the organization. So like in one country, uh, their government and people valued education. So right. they were another country, they, they valued like labor and um, just making sure that uh, every organization had a union and these yeah. types of things. So that their values showed up very differently and it impacted how we did business in that country. Because right. uh, in that country, we always had to interact with the union. Right. So um, in every single country, uh, the external environment had an impact on the internal environment. Mm that caused us to be unable, and this is how I learned this, we were unable to, what we called at the time, harmonize uh, policies so that mm -hmm. the same policies uh, applied to each country. Right. That was impossible. So in every case, we had to find a way to implement a policy uh, in a way that how the, so that it aligned with the external environment and yeah. the internal wow. uh, corporate culture right yeah and but like something like that to be able to work with an organization if they're operating in eight countries and you're having to work on a cultural transformation for them these aren't things that happen quickly <laughs> these must be large pieces of work what to do something like that with the clients that you're working with they're global multinationals um and how do you do that all on your own with working with them and how long does something like that typically take you well one of the one of my values is that um i'm not going to do all of the work because they need to learn to do it for themselves mm. and so what i do is uh once i go into the organization i take them through a process where over time i create multiple teams mm -hmm. Uh, and a, a system within their organization that can support the sustainability of the culture. Right. So um, we, we set up the, uh, I do a diagnostic, you know, the typical kinds of things that yes. people do. Uh, I diagnose and then we create a culture code. Yes. Um, because a lot of times organizations have core values that are espoused, but they're not the living values. They're yes. not, they're not the, the, the really going they on. don't form the structure upon which the organization operates. Right. Uh, so they have something called the espoused values that are on the wall and the real values that are operating um, happen because they're not paying attention to culture mm. <laughs> and the alignment with the the espouse values. Uh, and so we go through a, a process of really going in on looking at the diagnostics. And usually I use multiple uh, sources. Yes. Uh, but I love to talk to people because I not only want to see data, I want to feel mm. the culture. Mm. And it comes alive when in conversations mm. and, and, and seeing the different perspectives that the the, uh, what do you call it, the exploratory kind of uh, data-driven methodology uh, can't give, it just can't give you that. No. So um, I talk to people and sometimes I use both. It depends right. on, on the culture. 
And I don't take on any client. I really take a long time and going back and forth and talking okay. with them okay. because um, one of my one of my um, reasons for that is because I don't want to do any harm. Because mm. uh, sometimes in the beginning, what I found was they said they wanted it. And perhaps a board was saying, do this because, you know, this is what you need now. Yeah. Or and they didn't really want it. Mm. And then we start to open up <laughs> the, I guess, what they have. And, uh, yes. and they're like, oh, we don't want this. This is too scary. Right. <laughs> and so I'm uh, very slow in the process of getting to, um, getting to understand if they're ready for it. Uh, then we do a diagnostic. Then we do um, uh, the, the cultural code. And then we start creating the system that will create or recreate the culture. Uh, because yes. we're not really fixing it. We're actually creating something new and using the strengths uh, that they have to uh, right. pull it off. Incredible, event! I, um, I love that you use so many. Uh, first of all, I love that you're slow to start with. I think that that's clever. And, you know, if I, if I think about some of the um, conversations that we have in our community, it's, it's um, while you're trying to build your practice, uh, particularly if you're in your early stages of your practice, you're trying to, you know, just get things moving quickly and, you know, hurry up and get clients and do all these things. But it does take, it was like, as you say, cultural transformation work, you're, it's having a big impact for an organisation and the people in it. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I love how it's it sometimes a bit counterintuitive, but it makes perfect sense because, like you say, and when I was thinking about it, I'm thinking that there are some stages throughout the process that you may speed up or have to slow down again because you have to bring so many people on the journey yes. uh, as part of that, yeah? Yeah, yeah. We had this, uh, when you said that, there's one example that came to mind that this, we did the diagnostic work and we were moving into defining the, redefining the core values and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, just before we could move, uh, I went through the process of sharing with the leaders feedback that was specific to them. And right. um, I, I tried to be delicate because <laughs> I realized that, and I know that, uh, and what I do is I don't give them information in writing first because I know right. that that triggers the amygdala, they, they get a hijack. And so I just have a conversation just me and you, we go to lunch or something off-site mm -hmm. and we have a chat. And that's when I kind of uh, measure if this is going to mm. do any harm. <laughs> and uh, in one case, you know, I sat with this uh, executive and um, she seemed okay. And we were mm -hmm. having a conversation, the same tone that we are having right now. And um, that night she called the owner of the business and used so much profanity. Oh, <laughs> She totally got triggered. And then the next day she called and did it again. Oh, <laughs> And then on Monday, there was another version of it. And oh, so, wow. Yeah. 
Now, um, I didn't even share some of the really difficult stuff because I had yeah. a feeling she would be triggered because okay. there's some that you, you tend to know different types. There are people who mm. never want to be wrong or seen as mm -hmm. making a mistake or doing something inappropriate. Mm. And uh, she seemed that way and it came out in the, in the interviews that she was doing right. and uh, uh, it was uh, quite interesting. So, so what did you do with it? Did you end up continuing on or did you work out that they weren't really a good, you know, they weren't ready to work with you or? Well, the owner of the business was fine. Mm. And so um, we continued until COVID happened and then right. we took a break. Uh, because yeah. there was so much uncertainty <laughs> and uh, you know it was just everyone refocused but then we started yes. up again and it's interesting yes. each time we, we started you know this person brought me in oh, so wow. it's a it's a it's a process in that case yes. you know there was I don't know that it was harmful uh, because I, I look at harm I, I know that people need to be uncomfortable for change to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but I also take a look at whether uh, the impact on other people uh, yes. would be something deeply damaging. Uh, right. So you have to balance the discomfort that you cause or create with, uh, with the impact that it has on, yes. on, the, on the broader ecosystem. Yes. And so in that case of it, sometimes I'm imagining that there may be projects paused that, you know, you may get a year or two in and then you hit a something that you didn't expect or or I guess you're doing your diagnostics to pick a lot of those things up really early as much as possible. Nice. Um, there may be, I mean, this is deep work that you're doing with people. So, and you're there for, um, you know, some time, yeah? Yeah, two, three years. Two, three years yeah yeah it can be um so Yvette, there's something you talk about and we talked about it back when we first spoke uh and it's uh it's sat on my mind and i thought a lot uh about it which is around the role of trust you talk a lot about trust in your book and you talk about particularly what that looks like at different levels in the organization and you talk about um, the, you know, particularly if you're going through change, just a little let that level of psychological safety that people have um, to be able to go through that. And you talked when we spoke last time. You talked about, and I, I can't remember if you said that this is one of the laws, but it's it, it was around. Um, um, you know, if if it's a positive culture to be going through change, you said there'll always be you know these sort of groups that are. Uh, that are you know there's positive sort of levels of trust I think you were saying but you said but regardless you said that these groups or the interconnectivity or the the, the way these sort of I guess clicks sort of um, mm -hmm. will pop up you said if there's no trust there or the trust isn't coming up it will show up somewhere else but often in a negative way mm -hmm. because it's trying to find that balance um, yeah. Are you? I thought that was. I thought a lot about that after you spoke about that last time. Are you happy to share a, a bit about that? Is that kind of one of the laws that you talk about? It's not a law, but uh, it's part of the system. system right. Because all systems, as you correctly said, they 
balance themselves dynamically. If the, mm. if the leadership is not consciously um, identifying the needs that are showing up within the ecosystem. So yes. in organizations where there's dysfunction, you can find mm. clicks and clicks, uh, you know, come about for many reasons, uh, but a lot of them happen um, because people need a valve. <laughs> they need to open the valve. It's right. a, a release. And so release, you end yeah. up with these closed uh, connections where they kind of just complain. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that it, it has to be closed because they have to be able to trust uh, the people yes. that they're talking to with this information so that they don't you know, have job security issues. And mm. that is serving a purpose of release, but it's also creating a division. Yes. Uh, and when you start creating uh, divisions where you have these small informal closed groups uh, that you call cliques that are, you know, they're just complaining and that, that negativity is just like, yeah, it's yes. layering, <laughs> you know, they're layering it. Yeah. Uh, you know, that can um, create lots of, lots of, uh, a lot of distrust because um, people need the, the outlet and they're not getting it formally through the, the structure of the organization and the ecosystem. Right. But uh, because they don't have a way to change anything, um, mm. you know, it, it, it kind of, it, it just sits there like the static thing that becomes yes. bigger and bigger because that's right. how emotion is. You keep layering it if, if you don't, you know, find a way to release it. Yes. And so uh, complaining is, is, is something that's a static process. And the only way to move it would be to have a system in place or leaders who are aware of these things and that can facilitate right. not only the conversation, but the addressing the, the situation with some kind of solution without the solution. Right. Uh, without a solution and, and continuous complaining, the trust just erodes and erodes. Right. You know, it's deconstructed. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, mm. trust is uh, the at the heart of the model, the IFP yes. model, because yes, uh, as I said earlier, you can have dysfunction and uh, the laws will work. So, trust yes. is the defining factor. Uh, for the IFB model uh, and working toward that um, takes a lot of time because uh, yes. IFB as well as trust, both of them are nonlinear uh, processes. You take two right. steps forward and then someone's habit kicks in and it's like, oh, no, we're back to square one. And then you take <laughs> right. one step forward and two steps back and it feels like, oh, we're not making any progress. <laughs> you know, you go right. to this. Yes. non-linear thing <laughs> that right. you know can be if you're not aware that that's a, a natural part of the process mm -hmm. uh you yes. can be uh demoralized by it or you know you become overwhelmed by it sometimes yes so uh 
So it takes, it's, it's important to build the trust first, but it's not always possible to do that. Yes, because I'm guessing that, you know, to build that trust, that means vulnerability from the leaders to be able to, um, uh, to, to create enough authentic connection uh, to be able to, you know, get people to feel like they're heard and then to right. be able to provide those solutions, you know, that can sometimes feel like you're giving people a personality transplant. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. I'm imagining. Well, not really. I mean, <laughs> I never seek to change a personality. I seek to equip people no. with the skills they need to navigate their cultural norms. Yes. You know, because yes. uh, we're not in the business of personality uh, transformation. No. <laughs> But vulnerability is a scary thing, right? Like, yeah. you know, that would be quite daunting if if they're trying to work out, well, how do I get through this this phase of like if I if trust well, is at the core of it. We in the in the workplace, you're not gonna find a lot of vulnerability and mm. people don't aim for that. I think that's more in in a personal relationship, I find. Mm -hmm. There may be right. certain levels of vulnerability okay. if there's a crossover between friendship and, and co-worker kinds of relationships. Mm -hmm. um, but people tend to have their work face on <laughs> when they're at work yeah. and they relax at home. Okay. Some people will attempt to be a different person, although that's not technically yes. possible. They just, it's just a facade. Yes. So yes. Um, I, I don't remember where I was going with this, but anyway. <laughs> So it's not always just not necessarily about vulnerability because of that oh, right. facade that is, that because we've got that other face yeah. on you. Because there, there are levels of, of trust. Uh, and that's yes. one of the things that I talk about outside of the book. It's something that I call yes. the spiral of trust where, uh, where we want to in, improve the trust, but we can't make people trust each other. So no. we're, we're attempting to improve the trust collectively. Uh, so no, what that means is some people will trust more and other people will trust less. Uh, because okay. uh, when you're looking at it one-to-one -one and trying to pressure people into trusting and that type of thing, that's uh, through yes. constantly bringing it up because that's a form of pressure. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Trying to address it. Uh, and the intent is fine, I mean, but uh, in reality, it doesn't work that way. Everyone won't be at the same level of trust for everyone on the team. And right. that's fine. So when you look at it collectively at an ecosystem level, you see that yes. there will be differences, but we want to collectively raise the trust level, uh, honoring people's choices, because people may choose right. not to trust. Uh, yes different people and that's okay because uh you can't force trust no <laughs> the minute you try to force it then now yes. you're not trusted as a facilitator yes um that's so powerful and to be able to it makes perfect sense to be able to put you know to work on a collective as opposed to an individual level because for those who aren't maybe you know who have low trust um they naturally are low trusting type people you've got others who can sort of support them and carry them a little bit through that process too yeah right 
and and right. you work with the relationships so the people that they trust can help bring them along yes as opposed to you know one facilitator doing it you use yes. uh, you know you, you can tap into the power yes. of the collective yes that's a powerful insight um that i've never thought about it that way but it makes perfect sense um Yvette, in terms of um, your practice, uh, well, actually, before I say anything, so if you're wondering where all this is from, so just a reminder, so for Yvette's, Yvette's book, which is called Interconnectivity, Flow and Balance, it is an incredible read. And I think even if, what I think this is also valuable for, but for the ladies that are in our community, we do have some men um, who uh, listen and watch as well. So, um, but what I think is powerful here is, what I've been reading around your work of it is that we talk about as part of building a practice, a big part of that is how you build a community and how you build a tribe and how, um, uh, I, uh, which is about you being a leader because quite often for us as experts, we're so busy building the leadership capability and the tribes and the community of our clients. And, you know, sometimes we forget that actually we've got to build a community if we're going to create a sustainable practice our job is how are we going to create a culture and whilst these people aren't necessarily in a workplace every day there are still these key principles that you talk about around interconnectivity flow and balance and just how you might have if I think about those in our community um, I think about um, what are some of the principles to think about in here around your own tribe and your own community? Because otherwise, without that tribal community, we become so transactional. We just focus on selling. We're not focused. We lose the focus on impact, um, the um, transformation that we're taking people through, and why we're really here in around that um, the purpose why we're here and to be able to do that work we really love, not necessarily just about processing it's not about processing transactions uh in the thought leadership space so for those if you want to have a look at Yvette's book I would highly recommend um downloading you can buy it on um, Amazon which is where I got mine um so there's some fantastic thought leadership in there um Yvette if you think about for those who are in our community we have lots of as I said women and men who have um built their practices or on the journey some are starting some have had their practices for some time uh, we have some in our community people who are um, have won speaker of the year um, educator of the year in all the, their spaces if we think about particularly for women what advice do you you must have women who are consultants ask you all the time for your advice I'm imagining because you you know the clients you work with your thought leadership all that sort of thing um, what what advice do you have if, if someone's listening to this, particularly a female consultant in their practice, what, what advice do you have if they're listening to you thinking about how do I, how would I build my practice if I like this model and how you've built your practice of it? Okay. Uh, I, what I do in building my practice is I use the IFB model uh, and the first step in it is to build trust. And so mm. when I approach uh, someone to collaborate with me or partner with me, uh, I don't approach them as a partner or a collaborator. Mm. I approach them as a friend or someone interested in supporting 
them with their growth. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do that so that I can get to know them and they can get to know me because once I start partnering with someone, it's kind of like a marriage. And I want to mm -hmm. get to know, in one case, you know, I spent a year helping one of my partners get their business aligned uh, and the culture transformed. And I did it, wow, wow. gratis. But in return, wow. what I've gotten back <laughs> has been far more, you know, than I, than I gave. I mean, the enthusiasm, the, um, and I did it with no expectation mm. or understanding of what this would grow into. I just did it because it felt like, it felt right. Right. <laughs> And so yeah. in that case, it's blossomed into something uh, that's covering a lot of Europe. And wow. uh, so it, it really ended up working out and they're creating materials. I trained them on my, my work uh, over time. They, they got uh -huh. all the certifications and yes. uh, now they're producing or co-producing co uh, products. So um, wow. the, the model starts with the relationship, the interconnectivity, and I wanna understand compatibility first. Um, right. And, and you know, everything's still a risk, but at least I start to understand their, their core values, how they operate, how I operate, am I compatible? And then I, then it automatically uh, kind of emerges into something because mm. I'm always aware of their purpose uh, or what their goals are. And yes. whatever we end up doing aligns with both partners. Right. And, um, and, th and that's because you really have a global practice so this is regardless of whether they're in europe or the us or wherever i Far think that's East, really yeah yeah and that makes perfect sense because when you're dealing with the type of practice that you have and across those cultures is that you know to be able to align that before you can even talk about the type of work or anything like that is mm -hmm. <laughs> i like what you said it's like a marriage you've got to be able to know can can you can you be open with each other? Can you be transparent? Right. Can you, you know, because you're you're putting your work out into the world to know that, you know, it's going to be in safe hands too, as well right. as is it going to support this person? Because if you can get that fit right, then everything else becomes so much easier, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And and doing it this way, um you can also decide how far are you going to go with them? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So yes. it may be that you end up doing something, but based on how they operate and the compatibility, it may be something where you license as opposed to co-produce. You know what I mean? Yes. So yes. Um, it's, a, it's a process and uh, yes. it works. It's slower and it's, you know, it doesn't, uh, I guess, drive the funds right away. But uh, yes. and the back end, it's it's much yes. deeper, and I go for deeper. 
Yeah, I can really sense that. And Yvette, it, which actually I should have mentioned before, and it was interesting, um, your book, and we have a lot of women in our community who think about with, with publishing their book, most of them have all published books, or if not on that journey. Um, this piece of this work that you've got is uh, you've also published your book and you've self-published it, mm. and which is fantastic. And I don't mind how people publish whatever way, but are you happy to share? Because some it's one of the most common questions I'm asked, do I self-publish or do I go with the publisher? Are you happy to share what made you decide to self-publish? Yeah. Um, yeah. The uh, primary reason I did it is because I wanted to own the intellectual property to all my books. And so, mm. because my intent was to create uh, derivatives of the book. And so a lot of uh, the products that I've created are derived from the book. They've gone a bit yes. further than the book uh, over time. But uh, mm -hmm. I didn't want to go through any legal hoops um, to create uh, derivatives. Um, you know, I'm creating another uh, textbook now for academia, and I'm using different parts of different books that I've created yes. over time. So um, I don't want to have to. I'm happy that I did that, what I did, because now I don't have to go through this whole approval process, what I can yes. and cannot do, or having to rewrite the book. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. And also, you mentioned uh, before we started recording today a bit about um, tapping into the type of book that you actually wanted the freedom to write it, your book, yeah. like it, it was just a, your yeah. own knowing around, yeah? Oh, it's yeah. not having to deal with an editor who's focusing on a certain goal. Right. Um, are you happy to share a bit about that? Well, um, my, I do understand that when you, um, you know, you have an agent or a, a book deal, they have the freedom to make changes to your material. And uh, for me, that would have lost the integrity of of what the material was about, if they had some goal right. that was not compatible with mine, which may be, let's yes. sell this thing and let's sell it hard. And I'm like, yeah. oh, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and sales are fine. That's not why I created the book. Yes. I created the book because it's part yes. of a bigger, uh, Yes. Goal, a bigger purpose which is about transformation yes. um yes and i also didn't want the pressure of you know having to sell 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 because now i'm i have to do it because that's the deal yes. <laughs> yeah so uh, it's uh it, it, there were lots of reasons why i i decided to to publish and i've never regretted it Ever regretted it? Yeah. Yeah, because when you're dealing with a publisher, they're just focusing on which bookstores or the airports that it's going to be in and how many sales and you get your sales data every week and are you on a New York Times best or in a, here in Australia will be typically the Australian bestsellers list and does it end up here? But um, I love that thinking is that you've got a bigger picture in mind is that mm -hmm. you've got 
and hence you're an expert in in cultural transformation and ecosystems you've got your own ecosystem that this actually needs to fit into right, um, right. and it serves a higher purpose than just a book on a bookshelf to be able to sell x right. amount of dollars right yeah right and to me that would have been selling my soul <laughs> just mm. the amount of control i i just didn't want yes. so yes. um and I know that there are hybrid models now where it's a combination yes. where you can own your intellectual property and, and but you pay yes. a much greater fee. So there, there are right. lots of uh, book publishing models uh, since, you know, since I started yes. all of this. Yeah. And it's, you're a great example of it and, and um, uh, um, of someone who's written I think sometimes people think that oh, I don't know about self-publishing is it still going to look good is it still going to look professional is it still going to look polished and you know yours is a testament to yes absolutely you know it, oh, you, you, still know, got you don't know what I went through with that <laughs> it's world class it's and, fantastic uh, I can imagine yeah. 400 pages <laughs> oh it took me years to edit because I had so Get many it. levels of edit because yeah, right. first it came through as a stream of consciousness you know it's just like let yes. me just write down everything and then yes. I went back and researched and organized it and oh it yes. was a lot of work it's a huge job so um so yeah I really want to take you for your book and particularly that you've self-published it because I think that that takes um you know it takes a lot of conviction and it's you know it's a daunting thing to put all these things down on paper um but to be able to actually stay in your power and know no <laughs> it will lose its integrity i've got to write this book it's the right book it's the right message got the right content this is who i am um and this is what i'm here to do and um and having that conviction around that and the freedom the big one is the freedom that you can do what you need to do with it which is fantastic. It's um, one of my biggest core values, freedom. <laughs> freedom, is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we've got that in common, um, Yvette, and I think a lot of the people who will be listening to this uh, will totally uh, empathise with you. <laughs> and say, That's the name <laughs> yeah. of the game. That's the name of the game. That's, yeah, big time. Um, absolutely. Um Yvette, uh, thank you so much for sharing all your expertise today. You are doing some incredible work. For those who are listening or watching, if you're watching this on YouTube and they'd like to follow you or keep up to date and they're fascin as fascinated as I am in the work that you are doing, um, what are they best to do? Are they best to jump on your website? Do you have a newsletter or connect on LinkedIn? What would you like them to do? Uh, they can uh, connect on LinkedIn uh mm -hmm. they can find me there Yvette Bethel they can I have okay. a few websites uh mm -hmm. one of them is the conscious organization.co or orgsoul.com okay. or o-r-g-s-o-u-l.com or, or it's yes. easy so yes. that's uh either one will get me get you there and i have a lot of websites so i won't uh yes. <laughs> name them all that's okay that's, we'll that's start at linkedin one. and then yeah, we, yeah. we go in yeah. there okay fantastic 
Thank you so much, Yvette. I think about the, if I reflect on our conversation today, you've been very, so generous and the work that you've put into your book and your thinking is fascinating. I've got the words that I've written down here, uh, um, be mindful of the laws, regardless of the type of community that you have and the organisation that you have. Yeah. Um, uh, I've also uh, written down things you exude calmness and patience and play you play the long game is what I heard yeah. today and yeah. and I really admire that about you and I think that that's something that for a lot of those people it, you know it, it, if you're building your practice it, it's scary you've got everything on the line um, but we do talk about playing the short and the long game and the long game is patience and purpose staying on purpose you know not trying to we're not trying to hustle or hurry or anything like that I think your calmness uh and this patience that you exude and um and being on purpose and that intent is something that we can all really learn from you and you're a testament to what I think is an incredible woman of influence so thank you so much for being part of our community today yeah, thank you too. And if I can support the community with, you know, helping you to understand it as an ecosystem and, and uh, you know, building it from that perspective, I'm happy to do that with you as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much of it. We hope to have you back again one day soon. Oh, I look forward to it. <laughs> Take care.